This is Chris Shelton. I am uh, hoping that we are giving you another hour of podcasting greatness here. And of course, I want to wish you happy holidays as we roll into December of 2021 here and start, uh, well, working out the end of the year. Gosh, it's come by so quickly. I can't believe it. Ah, So much has happened this year and so much to come in 2022. I wanted to uh, quickly say that um, if you are not subscribed to the podcast or the channel, please do so and hit that bell button on YouTube if you want to be notified of episodes and uh, videos as I post them. Uh, That's the way to do that. And of course, I also wanted to uh, let you guys know because I do not talk about this enough. I need you guys to know that I have another YouTube channel. It is called Critical Clips. And it is uh, simply excerpted answers to questions um, or, uh, you know, particular bits that I've taken out of interviews or podcasts that I've done that I thought were relevant on single issue topics. So if you want a single answer to a single question and you can easily see what that question is or what that topic is by the title of the video, I have posted um, over 650 videos over there so far and lots, lots, lots more to come. I'm still years behind in my library of videos that I am going through step by step to pull the information, pull the clips, uh, the excerpts for those uh, videos. So I highly recommend that you check that out. You can find the link to the Critical Clips channel in the description section to this video and in the description section of all of my videos. All right, and uh, let's see. Now let's go ahead and get into the main thrust of the podcast this week. I have been doing some pretty deep dive research on the subject of Scientology. And of course, having been a Scientologist for so many years, having worked for the organization for 25 of those years, you know, you'd think I wouldn't have a whole lot to research. But going through, um, you know, this program and doing the, the, the real intensive kind of word by word, paragraph by paragraph analysis of L. Ron Hubbard's lectures, and I've, I've selected out a couple, and I've been doing this uh, research on them. And it has brought to light some very, very interesting facts and ideas and things that I never saw as a Scientologist and hadn't particularly noticed up until now. And I thought there was one particular thing that I've sort of uh, kind of hit me that I thought I should share. And this is not a personal thing. This is not a point of my own recovery, like I talked about last week, or anything you know, super personal to me. It has to do with, uh, if anything, I'm going to eat a little crow here, because um, I have used the word counseling to describe Scientology auditing. And I don't know that I could have made a bigger mistake. <laughs> short, of, short of calling Scientology a religion, <laughs> which is also something I, I can, you know, contend with. And I don't, I don't think it really is a religion. But, you know, you have to deal with the fact that it's recognized as a religion. And so you have this, you know, rather controversial term that gets used to describe Scientology. Is it or is it not a religion? Well, I think this podcast will answer the question if you don't already, if you've not already settled this for yourself, as to why it is that Scientology's brand of counseling, which is called auditing, why that is absolutely not counseling and not something that is at all really comparative to what psychologists are trying to do or what psychiatrists are trying to do. 
And, um, and getting into this field now and knowing a lot more about it than I used to, I thought that this was, you know, something worth talking about because what I'm going to talk about here today is very, very fundamental, kind of the elements of auditing, right? I'm not going to talk about how you have an auditor and a preclear. I mean, you have, oh, actually, I should describe that first, but it's not just the physical aspects of this that I'm talking about today. Because physically, when you look at an auditing session in Scientology, it looks and sounds sometimes like psychotherapy. And so the analogy gets made all the time. The, you know, the comparison gets made. But it's not. Now, first off, let me, um, and we're going to get into all the reasons why. That's that's what I'm going to do here in this podcast. So first off, let me start by clarifying what is therapy? What is counseling? What are we talking about when we're talking about psychological counseling? Well, I didn't think that there was a better source to go to than the American Psychological Association website, where it defines psychotherapy or therapy uh, quite clearly. And I want to read this to you first to sort of give you a standard of what it is that I'm thinking about these days when I use the word therapy or counseling. And this is a quote from their website. In psychotherapy, psychologists help people of all ages live happier, healthier, and more productive lives. Psychologists apply research-based techniques to help people develop more effective habits. There are several approaches to psychotherapy, including cognitive behavioral, interpersonal, and psychodynamic, among others, that help people work through their problems. Psychotherapy is a collaborative treatment based on the relationship between an individual and a psychologist. A psychologist provides a supportive environment that allows you to talk openly with someone who is objective, neutral, and non-judgmental. Most therapy focuses on individuals, although psychotherapists also work with couples, families, and groups. Okay. So um, now let's take a look at auditing. Um, because what you get from that definition of therapy is a collaborative, non-judgmental, neutral, objective kind of setting where the psychotherapist or the psychologist is there to listen and understand and support and help. Another definition of um of counseling talks about how uh, it is advice and support that is given to people to help them deal with problems, make important decisions, etc. So I'm sort of stressing here the collaborative effort and the fact that psychology is about the individual, the client that is being served. Everything about, and I'll go over some more stuff that'll sort of reinforce that a bit later when we talk about the ethics codes of therapists versus what goes on in Scientology. But first, I just want to kind of set the scene here because auditing is also defined in science by Scientology on their website. So let me read to you what the Church of Scientology says auditing is. Although the purely philosophical aspects of L. Ron Hubbard's work are sufficient in themselves to elevate this civilization, only auditing provides a precise path by which any individual may walk an exact route to higher states of spiritual awareness. Okay, there are so many problems in that paragraph already, but I'm just going to continue reading here. 
The goal of auditing is to restore beingness and ability. This is accomplished by one, helping the individual rid himself of any spiritual disabilities, and two, increasing individual abilities. Obviously, both are necessary for an individual to achieve his full spiritual potential. Auditing can be ministered to a group, uh, by a person on his own using certain Scientology books and materials and one-to-one. Through auditing, one is able to look at his own existence and improve his ability to confront what he is and where he is. Vast differences exist between the technology of auditing, a religious practice, and other practices. Auditing does not use hypnosis, trance techniques, or drugs. The person being audited is completely aware of everything that happens. Auditing is precise, thoroughly codified, and has exact procedures. All right, now there are, again, so many problems there, and I'm going to try to sort of break down in the course of this podcast what some of those problems are. But we're not, the purpose of this is not to take apart uh, these three paragraphs of Scientology's website. Instead, I'm going to talk a bit more broadly. But I wanted to give you first what the Church of Scientology says about their own practice so that we can do a little compare and contrast. Now, um, something about auditing, uh, as far as why is it called auditing, is it comes from, Hubbard says that it comes from the same root that audio comes from, and the word audit as in um, the English term audit, which is to, to listen, audio, right? It has to do with that. You're listening. And so the idea is that the auditor is somebody who listens to the preclear, right? And understands and acknowledges their communications. Well, that mechanically is fine, but if what you're saying to the preclear is off the rails, you can listen all you want and you're not going to help the person. So just because you're listening to someone doesn't necessarily mean you're helping them. And as I will show, Scientology auditing does actually very little listening. It's almost a misnomer. Uh, and those who out there who are listening to this who have been audited in the past might disagree with that and think I'm off the rails, but please hear me out through the whole podcast before deciding that I have no idea what I'm talking about. The basic problem and the, my, my basic argument here and where I'm gonna where I'm going with all of this is that the thing about Scientology auditing that makes it fundamentally, essentially different from what's going on in a psychotherapy or counseling session of any kind is in Scientology, the process that is being run, the technique or method that is being used to audit the person is the senior part of the session of the, of the counseling or sorry, the auditing session. In psychotherapy or in psychology, the process or procedure or method that is being used is not the most important part of what's going on. And it is the, it is the person that is being dealt with that is the most important thing in the room. And this is the basic difference between what Scientology is doing in auditing versus what is going on in psychotherapy or counseling. Is the is it's sort of the what's the priority? What is it that the counselor or therapist or auditor? What are they trying to do? 
In Scientology, the auditor's job is to get the PC through the auditing process, no matter what it takes. If you go and read through Hubbard's lectures, which I've been doing, and there, there's, it's just, there's so much here. I, I, I don't even want to get into all the little specific quotes of it. What I'm trying to point out is that the, the entire practice and every single thing L. Ron Hubbard writes about how to execute that practice of auditing has to do with starting and finishing processes. The three auditing maxims of Scientology that are common to every form of Scientology auditing, whether it's objective auditing, pushing a person around a room, or whether it's subjective and dealing with their memories or their mind, the three basic rules, the most fundamental principles of Scientology auditing are what turns it on will turn it off, the way out is the way through, get the PC through it. So those are the three top priority rules of Scientology. And if you look closely there at what those are saying, you see that every one of them is process-centric. Get the PC through it. The way out is the way through. What turns it on will turn it off. This is having to do with processes. Let me explain these maxims a little bit in more detail if these are a little confusing to you. What turns it on will turn it off. In Scientology auditing, it is common for people to experience what are called somatics, pains, irritations, uh, body feelings or sensations that can be quite uncomfortable. Um, when those happen or... Conversely, mental phenomena can turn on that can be quite uncomfortable. It can be exceedingly traumatic and stressful to be pushed into uh, times in your past, which you are were overwhelmed by at the time and are being overwhelmed by right now. In psychology, the, the goal of a counseling session is never to overwhelm you. In Scientology, they overwhelm you on purpose. The, what turns it on will turn it off. The idea being that the process that has been begun on you is now creating these problems, these somatics, these sensations, these feelings, whether mental or physical. And so only by continuing this process to its completion Will you actually resolve those, those somatics or those upsets or difficulties or, or on discomforts? Um, this opens the door, of course, to all kinds of abuses. And I'm not making the argument in this podcast about whether Scientology auditing is abusive or destructive. I've already made that argument. And I'm already approaching this from the point of view that it is. I'm merely explaining another reason why. <laughs> so I'm not trying to convince you this is bad stuff. I've already made that argument. It is bad stuff. But this tells me a little bit more as to why, why, at a real fundamental level, why you can't really fix auditing because its entire nature is to overwhelm and harm you. Because um, from those overwhelms and from those, um, you know, incidents where a person is thrust into things that they're not ready to deal with and can't handle, that's how things like Lisa McPherson happened. And she's dead now. 
Uh, she had a psychotic break, and that I, I am willing to sit here and say that that psychotic break was absolutely caused by Scientology and its, and its destructive efforts to counsel her uh, through its auditing processes. And those auditing processes drove her a bit mad, and then Scientology took her out of a hospital and under their care killed her. So that's the ultimate example of just how far off these things can go. But there are so many smaller, lesser examples than full death to demonstrate that seem that people can be psychologically or uh, even physically harmed by this stuff. So the first point, though, and the most important one is that Scientology is process centric, while psychotherapy or psychology is person centric. And this is a huge, huge, huge difference. Uh, the way out is the way through is another of those three maxims. And that, of course, means that the only way to get this person, this pre-clear, to get to the other side or to get to a good place or to, you know, increase their, how do they put it? Um, look at his own existence and improve his ability to confront what he is and where he is, as they say in Scientology. The only way they know to do that is to push the person through the process no matter what happens during it. It's just taken as a matter of faith. In fact, the, the, the maxim right here is the way out is the way through. You only get any gain in Scientology by completing the processes. So the entire thrust of the activity is that you are going to get through this process no matter what it takes. And L. Ron Hubbard in his lectures talks about the fact that you can get away with almost anything. You could, here's the direct quote, you can practically do anything in a session as long as you're effective and interested in the PC's case, and your attention is on his case, and what you do is relevant to the solution of his case. All right, now that might sound reasonable to some of you until you know what it is that they're doing to get a person through their case. Um, because, of course, here we're talking about the use of the e-meter, which is the next part of this sort of abusive picture. But first, let me say here this business of get the PC through it, okay? So these maxims all reinforce the idea that the only thing that is really important in an auditing session is getting the PC through the process. Okay, that is, that's just the, the, it's taken as a matter of faith in Scientology that the processes work, that they work 100% of the time, that they are 100% applicable to the person they're being applied to, and that they will absolutely positively get this person to a better place than they are now whatever that's supposed to mean for the person. And when we talk about higher states of spiritual awareness and nonsense like that, it, these words really don't even mean much of anything. So it's, it's a little hard to talk about this and take it seriously when, you're, when your standards for improvement are so completely and wholly subjective it's, it gets a little bit difficult, okay? But that's not, again, the, the main thrust of my podcast this week. So the other thing about this, where things start going really, really off the rails, is not only the process-centric aspect of Scientology auditing, but the use of the e-meter. Because Hubbard makes it clear over and over and over and over and over and over and over again 
that the e-meter is infallible. It is to be, be it is to be believed over the over whatever the preclear has to say, the whatever the auditor thinks, the e-meter is the thing that drives and controls what's going to happen with the process and with the session as a whole. And if the e-meter doesn't agree with what the preclear has to say, well, the preclear is tough, tough out of luck, right? Shit out of luck. Um, the, you always, always, always believe the e-meter first. So if the meter is responding to a question as interpreted by the auditor, then that preclear doesn't matter what he says, doesn't matter what he tries to do, doesn't even matter if he tries to get up and leave the room. The Scientology auditor is trained to stop him and physically put him back in the chair, slam him down, and get him through the process no matter what it takes. At the end of the day, this falls under the sort of uh, principle of the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter what you have to do to this person as long as you get them through the process. And um, while most Scientology auditing... In the day-to-day -day of doing Scientology auditing, it's not like every other session you're having to manhandle the preclear. But it happens often enough, and there are enough instances of abuse and enough instances of damage and destruction because of this that it's definitely worth talking about. Uh, Scientology apologists and, and independent Scientologists tend to forget about all of this stuff that I'm talking about in the same way that when you're talking about a psychic and how accurate they were, you tend to remember the hits and you forget all the misses. You forget all the times the meter didn't respond right, didn't work. You forget about the times the auditor was giving you a hard time because you have a bias or a tendency to want this thing to work. You need it to work. You have emotional investment in this and it has to work. So you forget the misses and you only remember the hits. And that is a phenomena that occurs with uh, Scientologists, current and former, every day of the week, right? Uh, okay. Basically, with the uh, here's how this is supposed to be sort of curbed or 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 stopped from happening in Scientology is the ethics codes of Scientology and specifically a code for the auditors. There's an auditor's code and the first point of the auditor's code is I promise not to evaluate for the preclear or tell him what he should think about his case in session. Not supposed to do that. You're also not supposed to, number point number two, I promise not to invalidate the preclear's case or gains in or out of session. So you're not supposed to evaluate for the preclear and you're not supposed to invalidate the preclear. All right, so you might have, there. Are, there is a kind of auditing that occurs, and this happens often in this kind of auditing, where it's called repetitive processing or repetitive command, where the same question or series of questions is asked over and over and over again. Now, this is Transinduction 101. This is straight-up hypnotism, and uh, that's exactly what Hubbard knew how to do, but he reframes this as, you know, counseling, as auditing. So here's a question that might actually be asked of a person in a Scientology auditing session. Let's say that someone has a sore throat, and so they're getting an auditing process to deal with that sore throat. 
And the question is, from where could you communicate to a throat? It's a weird question, right? But, you know, you start asking somebody that question and you say, from where could you communicate to a throat? What? Well, I guess uh, from my throat. Okay, good. From where could you communicate to a throat? Uh, well, I guess um, you could communicate to a throat from your, from a, from a, um, uh, you know, uh, thermometer. All right, great. From where could you communicate to a throat? Ah, well, gee, I guess I could communicate to my throat from uh, food I eat. Okay, great. From where could you communicate to a throat? That's it. Those are all the answers I got. I can't come up with any more. Okay, I got that. From where could you communicate to a throat? And that's how it's going to go, is the guy's just going to keep asking the question over and over and over and over and over again until... The meter is no longer responding and the person has some sort of realization or epiphany about life. And once that process starts, remember that the auditing maxims are what turns it on will turn it off. The way out is the way through and get the PC through it. So that auditor is bound by those three points. And so it is that... The pre-clear can cry, can beg, can plead, can try to get up and leave the room, could do any number of things, including throw the cans down and just sit there. I'm not answering any more of these dumbass questions, and I'm done, right? And the auditor won't let him out of the room and will not allow him to get off of this process until it's done. And as far as the auditor is concerned, all of this upset is being manifested because the process, what turns it on will turn it off, and the way out is the way through. So the process becomes the most important part of the session. You see what I mean? What the person over there is saying, what the preclear is saying, doesn't matter at all. The auditor doesn't listen anymore. The auditor's really not listening to the preclear. And the auditor is absolutely evaluating for the preclear because he will not get off the process no matter what the preclear says. The auditor is evaluating what is best for the preclear by forcing on him continued commands and questions that the preclear has no choice but to answer. And what I'm describing is a standard auditing session. These are the rules that govern Scientology auditing. So you see what I mean now when I say that the process itself becomes the most important part of the session. And the only thing the auditor's job, the only thing he's trying to do is drag that preclear through that process. And, the, and again, the faith-based idea here is that the process will work 100% of the time on 100% of the people it's applied to. And the truth is nothing works a hundred percent of the time on a hundred percent of the people it's applied to. There is nothing we've ever come up with that works that way, right? Medical procedures, anything. It just doesn't work that way because the variety of human experience and the number of things that people bring into a room with them when it comes to their psychology and their trauma and their past are it's it, the, the variety is infinite. And L. Ron Hubbard did not solve 
this problem by magically inventing processes that, that just magically work every single time on every single person. But the auditor's code gives this apparency, I wanted to point that out in terms of this auditor's code, that these steps make it look like the auditor is not going to evaluate, is not going to invalidate, won't get angry with the preclearance session. These are other points. I promise never to walk off from a preclearance session. I promise never to get angry with a preclearance session. However, here's a couple other points of the auditor's code that reinforce what I'm talking about. I promise to run every major case action to a floating needle. And if that's Greek to you, let me, let me, let me translate that, that sentence. Uh, a major case action is a process or a series of processes. And you're going to run every one of those to what's called a floating needle. The E-meter has a needle on it, and that needle moves on a dial. The auditor basically audits the E-meter in session. The E-meter has to have certain responses or certain reactions, and that's what tells you when the auditing is done, not what the person on the other side of the desk is saying. So if the, if the needle starts doing this drifting back and forth in a rhythmic pattern, it's called a floating needle. And that indicates that the process is done. And it doesn't matter what that guy on the other side of the table, the preclear, says. He could be voicing the most fantastic epiphanies he has ever experienced in his life. But if the needle's not floating, then the auditor's code is not satisfied and the auditor has to continue running the process. I promise never to run, uh, I promise to run every major case action to a floating needle. I promise never to run any one action beyond its floating needle. So two points of the auditor's code that absolutely demand compliance are that the meter must have a floating needle to finish a process, regardless of what the person on the other side of the, of the uh, table says. So there are some other things here. Um, I promise to continue to give the preclear the process or auditing command when needed in the session. As, the, as I just demonstrated to you, right, when needed. Well, the floating needle hasn't happened yet, so clearly the next question is needed, so I'm going to have to give it to you. Uh, okay, so that's some of the auditor's code stuff on that that I wanted to go over. Oh, yes. The other part about this, of course, is that in Scientology auditing, it is assumed that the processes work 100% of the time. But what happens when they don't? Because clearly they don't always work, and clearly there are problems that come up. So what are you supposed to do? Well, in auditing in Scientology, you have what are called correction lists, pre-printed forms of questions that are assessed on an e-meter again in order to determine what or how the session went wrong. And the correction lists have questions about, did the auditor screw up? Is there something else going on? But most of the policy and effort in Scientology when it comes to correcting preclears who are not getting gains has to do with morality and questioning the preclear's morality or ethics. Because Hubbard says that the only reason that Scientology won't work on a person is because they're a criminal or because they are engaged in activities that they don't want known about right? They're hiding something. They have deep, dark secrets. Uh, or they are connected to a suppressive person, right? Somebody who is antagonizing and, 
giving them a hard time. All of these external things are, are moral problems, basically. Hubbard frames it in a, in a moral sort of plane. So if Scientology auditing isn't working, well, it's your own damn fault because you're immoral. You're out ethics. You're, there's something wrong with you or your life. The Scientology won't work on you. And that's fascinating because that's not something that you'll find anywhere in psychology. In terms of polar opposites, Scientology couldn't be more opposite to psychology in this way. And uh, this is not a small point. This is a very, very big point. You want to, you, you know, if you're going to talk here in the Auditor's Code and in Scientology about granting beingness to a preclear, well, that means listening to them. That means caring about them. It's letting them be who they are. But Scientology auditing is about changing a person into what Hubbard thinks they should be, not what they think they should be. And they are recreated through the auditing process into more of little L. Ron Hubbards than they are more of themselves, which I, um, again, can say with, you know, with, with, uh, without, you know, fear of, of being wrong about that, because you know, we've already shown the results of auditing. I mean, it's, you know, and again, Lisa McPherson, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so let me um, point out just a couple other differences here in terms of codes of ethics. I read from the Auditor's Code, and basically the Auditor's Code in Scientology is the ethical code that they follow in order to practice auditing. Well, how is this different from what goes on in psychology? And don't get me wrong, because in talking about this, it's not that there are cases where psychologists have not violated these principles, every single one of them done bad things, engaged in bad practices, and even in psychology, you will find instances where individual practitioners go a bit off the rails and do put process over person. Um, there are places where uh, there are certain psychologists maybe who get a little bit too wrapped up in the, the form of a session, of a, of a counseling session with EMDR or CBT or other forms of techniques that get used, and they can put the technique over the person just like is done with Scientology. But I wanted to stress here that that is the exception, not the rule. Everything I've been talking about with Scientology auditing is exactly what L. Ron Hubbard said as to how it's supposed to be done. In psychology, you have things like it recognizing and adhering to the patient's human rights. This is a very, very important point, and I pulled these right out of the Code of Ethics for therapists and psychologists uh, from the APA, the American Psychological Association. You can find similar wording or similar uh, concepts all throughout Europe and uh, the Western world, uh, the, the British Psychological Association, et cetera, all have very, very similar codes. And at the top of the list is the recognition of and adherence to uh, maintaining the patient's human rights, that is, or the client's human rights. Uh, that is always, always, always at the forefront. Um, so manhandling the client, forcing the client to do things they don't want to do, pushing them too, too hard in those directions is a violation of their human rights. And you don't get to do that to people. In Scientology, it is simply assumed that the auditor has the right of full control over the preclear in his spiritually and physically. And that's, that is a fundamental principle of Scientology auditing is that if the preclear knew what was wrong with them, it wouldn't be wrong with them. 
So we don't care what the preclear has to say. He doesn't know shit. Basically, right? That's another very fundamental principle of Scientology auditing is that the preclear doesn't know what's wrong with him ever. Because if he knew what was wrong, it would vanish. It would go away. It wouldn't be a problem. This is a gross assumption. It's a gross misassumption on the part of Hubbard. This caused me personally more trouble than I can even begin to describe to you over these last many years of recovery from Scientology. This idea that I thought I couldn't know what was wrong with me. You know, whatever I was thinking was wrong. Well, clearly that wasn't what was wrong because it couldn't be because if it was, it would go away. It wouldn't be a problem for me anymore. I mean, that's just bullshit. And yet Hubbard says that with a straight face, and so does and every single Scientology auditor believes that. And that's part of the way that they've justified this sort of abusive manhandling behavior in Scientology auditing, is that they can get away with that because you, as the client, as the preclear, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about, right? And the, and the complaints and the efforts to get out of session and throwing the cans down and, and not answering the question— all of that comes out of, in Scientology, the idea is that all of that bad behavior on your part comes from your reactive mind, a subconscious mind that you have no awareness of. So again, these are points that are being taken on pure faith. There is no reactive mind. There never has been. But L. Ron Hubbard says it exists and frames certain kinds of behaviors as reactive so Scientologists interpret their behavior as coming from the reactive mind. Oh, L. Ron Hubbard said that I have engrams, and engrams will cause me trauma, and they will cause me to say and do things that are out of my control, so therefore that's true. So when they go into an auditing session, the auditor starts you know, dealing with them rather harshly or rather abusively, and they believe that this is justified behavior because they don't know what's wrong with them, and they can't know what's wrong with them. So it is the meter and the auditor that are their only solution to this massive mystery, and only by putting their faith in the process and getting through the process can they ever hope to get better. I mean, that's Scientology in a nutshell right there as far as the auditing goes, right? A directly opposite, polar opposite in every way to what psychologists and psychotherapists are trying to do with a person. The psychologist does not walk into a psychotherapy session thinking he knows everything that's wrong with this, pre with this client, and the client doesn't know anything. That's... that's, that's if, if a psychotherapist has that attitude, you need to run, not walk away from them, because that is arrogance in the extreme. It is just completely conceited, and it is not any part of ethical psychotherapy. Um, there is another aspect of this. The ethical code of psychotherapists or, or psychologists also call for a separation in their personal lives from their clients. Whereas in Scientology, that's not the case at all. Husbands audit wives, um, parents audit their kids, kids audit adults, adults audit kids. There's all kinds of relationships that happen with auditing where outside of the auditing, they maintain all kinds of relationships, um, boss, uh, employee, um, 
you know, that can go both ways. Staff members audit other staff members, regardless of their relationship in the organization. In terms of power dynamics, junior-senior relationships, romantic entanglements, etc., there really are very few rules in Scientology regarding that. Um, it's, it's very, 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 very heavily frowned upon that an auditor would engage in sexual relations with his pre-clear. And I believe during the course of auditing, that's forbidden. But after you're done with the auditing, it's all good. Not in psychology, it's not, right? There's a two-year rule in psychology. And even then, they're like, even after two years, you better show some proof that the psychologist, who naturally holds a little bit more power over the clients, and is not abusing that power by engaging in sexual relations with their clients, or former clients, I should say. But this mixed relationships that, client, that, that people can get involved in, where they have lots of different relationships between them, that can enter all kinds of entanglements that nobody in psychology wants anything to do with. So this enters into kind, there are ethical dilemmas here, and, and they tend to ask for advice or direction when entering into, you know, when these dilemmas come up. Like, for example, and a, a simple example might be, should a therapist buy a car from one of his clients if his client is one of the only car sellers in town? That's an ethical question that actually weighs on psychologists. An auditor wouldn't think twice about buying a car from one of his preclears or even think in the slightest way about how that might taint their relationship. In a, in a, and that's just a lightweight example of an ethical dilemma. There are much more serious ones, including, like I said, the, the sexual relationships one. Um, the, another one here that I thought I'd bring up is psychologists do not exploit persons over whom they have supervisory, evaluative, or other authority, such as clients slash patient, students, supervisees, research participants, and employees. So they don't exploit persons. In Scientology, auditors are used to exploit their preclears all the time. Uh, and specifically what I'm referring to here is selling them things. If auditors are often brought in as what are called tags in a sales cycle, right, where a person is, uh, let's say they get an auditing session or they're getting auditing, and then after their auditing, it's a regular practice for them to go down and talk to the registrar, the salespeople. And the salespeople are constantly trying to hit them up for more money, more auditing, uh, delivery, more coursework, you know, materials, et cetera. They're always, always, always selling. So sometimes the salesperson calls the auditor down and asks the auditor to tag on the, on the sales so that the auditor will sit there and tell the preclear, oh, yeah, you should definitely get this book. Or, oh, yeah, we've been, you know, we've been doing this auditing and this book is absolutely what you need or this course is what you need or you need to buy that auditing. You definitely do. Well, they don't even begin to understand, again, how that corrupts the relationship and puts the auditor into a position now where they're selling things to the person rather than being somebody that they can objectively, neutrally, non-judgmentally listen to and, and understand. That's no part of the auditor-preclear relationship, even though it's kind of presented that way and sold that way. I'm showing you here it's really not that way at all. 
Uh, also, we have here, when indicated and professionally appropriate, psychologists cooperate with other professionals in order to serve their client patients effectively and appropriately. Here, I'm, I mentioned this point from the ethics code of psychotherapists because uh, Scientology auditors will never consult with outside professionals regarding their preclears, right? Internally in Scientology, they will. But um, where a psychologist might try to coordinate with psychiatrists, medical doctors, sociologists, other professionals, social workers, etc., in dealing with their clients, a, a Scientology auditor will only consult with L. Ron Hubbard via, you know, his written and spoken works, right? That's the only thing you have to go to if you're having a problem or issue with a preclear. Well, what does L. Ron Hubbard say? Somewhere in all of these books and all of these lectures, L. Ron Hubbard has something to say about this situation. Go dig that up and find that. And that's the only recourse you have as an auditor. So, um, you know, psychologists have a, have a far broader range of help they can get from lots of different sources to help deal with the person in front of them. Um, Oh, here's another point. Uh, this is, again, a direct quote from the um, Ethic Code. Before recording the voices or images of individuals to whom they provide services, psychologists obtain permission from all such persons or their legal representatives. Scientology does not. Scientology auditors will record their preclears in their sessions whenever they want. They are often ordered to. Sometimes the rooms are even pre-set up with cameras and recording devices to record the preclears, and they don't always know when they are or are not being recorded, and the preclears uh, have absolutely no power at all over those recordings. Uh, they, this church property and the legal documents that preclear sign specifically state that their preclear worksheets and folders and administrative stuff and all those recordings are not their property and never will be. So big, big difference there. Oh, yes, there's also uh, a mandatory reporting requirement. When a psychologist runs into instances with minors, let's say, or adults of criminal activity, of abusive activity, um, of potential suicidal thinking that is legit credible, um, there are mandatory requirements for them to report that behavior or those, those concerns to other authorities and um, in Scientology, that absolutely positively will never, ever happen. Um, they, they do not ever report anything that goes on in any Scientology auditing to any outside authorities uh, for any reason, right? Unless it is a direct threat somehow to Scientology itself, not the preclear, to Scientology. Big difference. Uh, and finally, there is recognizing who their client actually is and always resolving things in the direction of what is best for the client. Now, as I demonstrated already, the client, the preclear in, a, in an auditing session is the least important part of that, of what's going on in that room. So I, what I wanted to comment on here is that while a psychologist or a psychiatrist will recognize that they are being paid by and here to service this person in front of them, and that person is their top priority. In Scientology, the person is the least important part. The process is their priority. The church is their priority. And if in any equation, 
where an auditor has to decide between the good of the church or the good of this preclear, they will every time take the good of the church over the good of the preclear. And that is not the case in psychology. So, uh, so those were some of the key differences there that I wanted to talk about. And I think that, you know, for me, this was very clarifying. I hope it is for you too. That's why I, that's why I thought I would talk about it is I wanted to kind of throw this out there and give a whole nother sort of angle or perspective on, you know, why it is that auditing is not good for you and why it can never be good for somebody because the entire thrust of it is not about helping the person. It's about forcing them to comply with what L. Ron Hubbard said they have to do. They have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get to this place where they believe they will have higher spiritual awareness and ability. And if you really start deconstructing what that means, you quickly find those words mean absolutely nothing. What is a higher spiritual state of existence supposed to, what does that even mean? It, it, you know, in practical terms, these are nonsensical ideas. So, you know, that, that of course is not L. Ron Hubbard's invention. This is new age philosophy. This is Madame Blavatsky. This is, you know, this is, this goes back centuries and centuries and centuries people have been having goofy ideas about spiritual states of awareness and ability long before l ron hubbard ever hit the scene but i'm just i just thought i would point out from a critical thinking point of view and i'd like you to think long and hard about what does it mean to achieve spiritual immortality and, and higher states of awareness what what? You know? Can you see infrared now? What, what, what does that mean? You know, it's just something to think about. Uh, all right. So that all being said, uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to go over this week. Thanks for, you know, sticking with me through this podcast. And I hope what I had to say here was useful and educational in some fashion. And I hope the way I went about doing it might have been at least mildly entertaining. Uh, but you guys let me know, uh, you know, what am I getting right? What am I getting wrong here? You guys, you guys tell me. But, um, but there's a little spin on some Scientology auditing for you. And I hope that that helps clarify why it is that I rail against it and why we think that Scientology might not necessarily be the best thing for you. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye-bye.